Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing in Grace. Glad you took time to join me today. Hello to Rebecca. Kay Fairchild, good morning to you. You're up early. <laughs> and Sandy Prince in the UK, so glad you're chiming in. I got a treat for you today. We have a special guest that shared in our forgiveness conference, um, Andre Robbie. Uh, there was a two-part um, conversation that we shared in the conference. I'm squishing it all into one. It's an hour long, just under an hour. So today you're getting a lot. If you can't finish it, come back later and finish it up. Uh, fast forward to where you left off and so on. But I think you're going to enjoy uh, a unique lens. In the conference, I had a variety of speakers. Um, each one had a different perspective. Some were teachers. Uh, some were pastors. Some were just normal people people <laughs> and just sharing from their lens therapists we had in there um you name it and and from different countries it wasn't just a canadian perspective this is like a i think universal um this idea of forgiveness it's i think it's bigger and deeper than we ever dreamed and uh i'm i'm going to be interviewing more people on the topic because we have not exhausted it i don't think we ever will but I think not everyone is ready to hear the uh, meat and potatoes depth, the father child, oh, sorry, the father parent adult level. And John, uh, it talks about, uh, <coughs> pardon me, child, young adult, adult, or child, young man, father. Uh, I'm trying to lose the, the, the gender terms here uh, when it's not necessary. But here, this is about being a child. And how we see our understanding of forgiveness, and in fact, in fact, in that text, I think it's First John two, it says, "I speak to children, children, because you know your sins are forgiven." Then it goes on. I speak to you, and he's talking about the adults. And then he talks about the young adults. Then he talks about children. Then the adults and the young adults. And it's the only place in Scripture that I can see a progress, a progressive or progression of change and maturity. We are told to grow in grace, to keep growing, till we become fully formed in Christ, which means we are already one with Christ. But the maturing of that takes time. So, to me, the big news is you are already reconciled. That's the gospel. The gospel is not you're lost. And I think Francois Dutoy said this the other day. The gospel is not that you're a sinner and lost. The fact is, the gospel is you are deeply loved, like forever loved. And I think that would change the perspective, not only of believers who have a an even younger than child level, uh, infant, I would call it, um, uh, understanding of who God is. They're the ones who are trying to pretend they're mature adults and spew off all kinds of religiosity and rules. 
Hence this this journey of discipleship, basic discipleship. K Fairchild, you you teach weekly. Like your stuff's not child level stuff. I know that. It's deep. And that's okay. There's we need that, but not everyone is ready for some of the deep stuff. And yet, I'm going to give you a shout out, Fair uh, K Fairchild. Um, K's material has not just adult deep stuff. It's sprinkled with nuances all over the place, so it can speak to child, young adult, adult. I hope that my stuff does the same thing, because there's going to be all categories in our uh, listening audience wherever we are. So this idea of, um, I speak to you children because you know your sins are forgiven, that's a child level. How many people call themselves Christians, pastors, theologians, who do not believe they are already forgiven? You've got to be kidding me. But I'm not. I'm embarrassed that after 10 years or seven seven years of, maybe eight, whatever, uh, of pastoral ministry, I did not know I was forgiven. I was led to believe if I'm going to be forgiven, it's up to me. So I'm the one responsible to come to God, make sure I declare all my list and all that stuff so I can get forgiven. And begging God, begging God for something that was already mine, I was not in a place or was I, re- I wasn't even ready to receive that. And then one day, oh, the floodgates began to open and they haven't stopped the next the last well i've been pastoring 31 years this year come october uh, 32 years this october um i'm still learning my understanding still expanding it's like this is nuts there's so much more to learn and so this topic of forgiveness it can really tick off the religious folks the ones who are staunch in their fundamental beliefs and when I say fundamental, I, I, I'm trying to use the term not as in root, uh, because there are fundamentals we need to grow in and grow from. There has to be a foundation. But what I, what I mean is, if you've grown up in a church system where this is the way this doctrine is taught, here's the cubbyhole, here's the PowerPoints, here's the book that explains that, or even worse, systematic theology, uh, which is helpful to a point, but if that's the one you go to to make sure everyone else is wrong, <laughs> we got a problem. Hence the conference. I think, yeah, we'll always be learning. That's right. We never stop. Uh, Kay, would you agree it's uh, harder to unlearn? <laughs> That's been my story. Unlearning is the most difficult thing. But then I, I re- that replacement of what had to get unlearned is restored and replaced with and renovated with love. And that's beautiful. That's a renovation of the heart. Some people use the term deconstruction. Uh, I get it. It works in some circles. If it turns you off, then it's not deconstruction. It's called discipleship. So yeah, you don't stop learning. That's why this program is called Still Growing in Grace, because we're all still growing. None of us have arrived. And we need each other to learn from one another. What you're going to get from one teacher, you're not going to get from another. So back to the conference uh, guest list. Uh, Each one brought a unique perspective, and I think you're really going to like Andres. If you were in the conference, then uh, you'll have heard this, but uh, um, I want to share it with everyone. Uh, So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, Listen to Andre. I love his heart and his gentleness, and I think there's something to be said about hearing this kind of stuff gently uh, and believing the one speaking But again, that's the Holy Spirit in you. 
confirming that this is true for you. So listen, see what the Holy Spirit says, but let's dig into a better and more beautiful perspective on forgiveness. So uh, let's dig in. Here we go. And I'm be watching with you. So comment along if you like something. Um, uh, I will be watching with you and learning. Here we go. Okay, here we go. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. All right. Hello and welcome, Andre. It's so good to have you with us. Thank you for participating in this special conference. Um, when I first asked you, you were you had an idea in your head already of a topic that you thought would be really important. And you've been around uh, the circle a few times regarding uh, church folks. Uh, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but there's, there's a sense of religious folks. Then there's people who think they get grace and then there's, and they do have a level, but then there's more grace and that group is just getting bigger and wider and fatter all the time. Um, but you've, you've heard and seen some things about forgiveness and I'd love to invite you to share with me some of those things and I'll banter with you as I can, but I'd love to hear your heart in this. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Great to chat to you again. Um, yes. And, you know, the, the theme of forgiveness, as you say, there, there are so many groups and in our personal lives, I think we go through periods where a, an idea or concept, uh, we suddenly realize that we misunderstood it. And then there's a reaction towards it. And very often the reaction goes in the opposite way. And uh, maybe maybe I must relate an experience that I think many people who come from an evangelical background can relate to. And then also the kind of reaction that we've had towards it that, that's led to, to another extreme. Before, because forgiveness is a, it's supposed to be a transformative experience, not a a boring little topic, not just a theory, but something that the, that becomes part of our lives that that moves us forward towards beauty and and goodness, um, wholeness too, right? So, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's I think many people who come from a religious background, when the word forgiveness is mentioned, it's often coupled with paralyzing guilt and images of repentance and uh, with all the definitions around that that, be, that becomes such a um, that for many became a negative experience. You, you grew up in a church where Sunday after Sunday you were called to repent again. Now you know in various degrees that would be true of people. Um, but then the many of the groups that we, we minister with have come to this beautiful new understanding that, that, you know, God invites us into a relationship where guilt and sin is no longer the focus, where we no longer paralyzed Sunday after Sunday by hearing a message of how worthless we are, how we've messed up, but rather that God actually likes us. He what? enjoys company. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> yeah. And he wants to do life with us. And, and that's a beautiful transformation to go through. Now, 
one of the extreme reactions we, we've seen to the whole idea of forgiveness is because people have come out of an experience of paralyzing guilt and it's mixed up with this idea of forgiveness. It's something that they just want to get rid of. And, and one of the theoretical ways they get rid of it is to, is to imagine the finished work of Christ as this event in which all our sin is dealt with so that I never have to deal with it again. Um, and now, you know, whenever I face an issue or whenever they say, an event that I know something went wrong or I harmed somebody or I, I might have disappointed myself or felt that I disappointed God. All I need to do is quickly just say, no, that, that was dealt with. I can just ignore it and move on. And so forgiveness almost becomes this idea that all we need to know is Jesus dealt with it. Let's just move on. So we actually never get into that transformative process in which we can acknowledge the situation for what it is, receive the healing and transformation available to move on. So per, is it, yes, in fact, the way you just word it, it, it did finally make sense. Like I knew kind of where you're going, but what you just said is good because if people are, uh, just brushing it off as the blood of Christ covered it. And that means they're ignoring the relational world we're in. We have to process this pain of this life. Yes, objectively, yeah. Jesus took care of things. But subjectively and objectively here on earth, we have things to work through. It's There's yeah. pain to process. There's there's relationships that need to heal or may never heal. We don't know, but it's not a free yeah. willy-nilly. I can go punch you and, oh, it's covered by the blood of Christ. Ha ha. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I think it begins with a misunderstanding of, you know, what's in and what this event that causes a, a disruption in our relationship, what it's actually about. And um, again, maybe some people that come from a maybe a Pentecostal holiness, a charismatic background. Um, would have the same idea that really the issue with sin is it's anything that God is against. And, um, you know, that is sin. And, and really, if God doesn't, wasn't against it, it wouldn't be such a big issue. So it's so a moral maybe, issue, right? Yes. Um, but I think if we begin with saying sin is anything that causes harm, you know, whether it causes harm to yourself to your relationships, uh, to the environment. Anything that causes harm, that is sin. And the problem with that, that action, that word, that idea, is not that God is against it. The actual problem with sin is the consequences of that action is harm. That's the problem. And God doesn't have to punish you in addition to what was done wrong. It's like, you know, our, our toddlers, we try and discipline our young children. Don't put your hand on the red hot plate. 
because that will burn you. So we, we intervene, we discipline them. But you know, if my 15-year-old son walks in and he says, I want to put my hand on the plate again, there comes a time where my discipline no longer helps. Now I've got to actually say, okay, well, maybe the best way for you to learn is to just experience the consequences of doing it. Go so, for it. <laughs> so, he, so he sinned because he caused himself harm. That is the problem with putting your hand on the plate. It causes yeah. you harm. And that's the only reason I, as a parent, would be against it. Not because I want you to feel guilty, but One, because can, I want to protect you yeah. from the consequences of that action. Can I ask one and quick so, question? Yeah. Um, not to Robert, I won't do this much, but the, the people are going to th- immediately, immediately think, oh, sin, that means missing the mark. How do you reconcile that with what you've just said? Is it, are they, can, do they work together or is there misunderstanding? Well, yes, I think we can, again, there are so many theoretical ideas that we can put onto it. But when we condense it to what it means in our experience, I think all of those definitions eventually comes out to it causes harm. Okay, perfect. Whether you miss the mark in your concept of God and therefore it's broken relationship or, you know, it all comes down to it causes harm. Mm. Um, Now, if that is our definition of sin, then it's difficult to just refer to the cross (laughs) as the place where Jesus completely dealt with sin and we no longer need to deal with it. Because the fact is, people still do things that cause us harm. (laughs) And to just theoretically refer to an event that happened long ago and say, okay, well, that dealt with it, very often prevents people from going through the process that's going to bring healing to themselves and do whatever and do ever they caused harm. So I think if we start off there and say the cross was never about paying for sin. Wow. We've got such an idea of it's all about payment. There's a offended God that needs a payment. And maybe before the cross, we did piecemeal payments with our penance and our repentance or whatever. But now Jesus, they thought, let's get this transaction done once and for all. All sin past, all sin future. Let's just do it once. I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what happened at the cross that keeps us from having a continual transformative experience. I don't think God was ever the problem or ever needed payment. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't think God being against sin was ever the issue. The, no. The issue has always been we misunderstood, misinterpreted who God is, who we are, and the very re- nature of reality. And for me, that is the essence of what the cross comes to do, to unveil the true character of our Abba, the true nature of who we are, the true nature of relationship and all of that. And part of that process is this introduction of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They they know not what they do. It's not because they repented just right or any of that. It's because of 
this underlying ignorance that Jesus comes and deals with that, that enables a life in which we can continually progress to the beauty and the goodness that he, he has in store for us. Um, yeah, so I wanted to throw that out first of all and, and see where we go with forgiveness then from there. Does that make sense to you? Oh, I love that. Yes, because um, while we can dig into the theoretics and details of forgiveness, how to forgive and what it is and isn't and all that, uh, this mindset is the problem. Just like God walking into the garden, looking for Adam and Eve, he didn't change his mind. They changed their mind. So it was the darkness of their minds. So to unpack yeah. that darkness, uh, we can reduce more harm and we can find more wholeness because I think people are hanging on to stuff that they're, it's causing them harm and relationships in their lives harm. Hence this conference called Healing Life's Hurts. So I think you nailed it. I love this. Keep going. So for me, that whole event of the cross then becomes this, this beautiful unveiling of who God is, who we are, who our neighbors are, and what is at the heart really of a lot of our pain, a lot of our harm, a lot of our violence is the act of projecting our own confusion, our own guilt onto another. And nowhere was that better displayed than in humanity deciding Jesus is guilty. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and what really happened is, you know, Caiaphas worded it so well. He said, um, when he had the, the council meeting, he said, guys, you don't understand. What's really at stake here is that it's better for one man to suffer than for the whole nation to suffer. In other words, this is not really about whether Jesus is guilty or not. This is what do we need to do to preserve our order, to preserve our sanity, to preserve our status quo? And what we need is we need to take this confusion and turmoil inside our camp and cast it out. <laughs> and we've chosen Jesus to be that scapegoat, to, to carry that. Now, that whole process by which humans have always built their communities, whether it's a nation, a civilization, a church. <laughs> Very often, the easier way to deal with our problems is to find a scapegoat, take all the issues that we've dealt with, put it on that one, cast him out, and there's this beautiful peace that comes. So it's very effective, but it only lasts a while because we've never dealt with the real problem. And the real problem wasn't the scapegoat. <laughs> the real problem is this personal transformation that needs to be an ongoing process in each one of us. That hasn't had a chance to take its full effect because we've prematurely decided that the fault lies with somebody else or, or some other place. Now, I think that process, Jesus says, you know, Matthew 13, verse 35, I come to reveal to you things that were hidden since the foundation of the world. This very process by which we always deal with our faults, with our guilt, which is accusation, 
which is casting it outside of ourselves onto someone else. Now, that is the base word for accusation, is the word satanos um, in the Old Testament. Uh, Satan is simply the personification of a process <laughs> that happens continually. And that process is, how do I deal with my pain? How do I deal with my turmoil? I cast a stone, I point a finger, I find somebody else to the accuser. Blame. It, I become part of this process. He was, and that's where, where Jesus in, in John 8 says, he was a murderer from the very beginning. He doesn't participate in our mythical stories of he was a beautiful angel, but he messed up and then he became bad. Jesus says, no, what we're dealing with is a process that was destructive and murderous from the very beginning. And when we participate in that process of accusation, of casting out, of separating who's in, who's out, we as much part of the Satanos as the Satan himself, and so I think forgiveness is the complete inverse. It is the remedy to this satanic process. Mm. Instead of That's beautiful. outside of myself to say, who can I accuse? Who can I project my frustration onto? Who can I blame for my issues? <clears throat> the forgiveness is this process of absolute honesty before your Abba to say, I am fallible, Abba, Papa, and maybe I don't know exactly how this mess happens. I don't know why that person presses my buttons. I don't know why that issue is so um, relevant for me and why I get so upset, but, but you know me. And I want to go through this process. It's this beautiful opportunity to say, help me know myself better. Help me know the origins of my frustrations. What are the desires that are not being satisfied? What are the issues that are not being resolved? I lay that before you and that is the transformative process to say i acknowledge my fallibility sometimes it's very obvious i know i messed up other times it's not so obvious i, I know i'm frustrated and i might cause hurt but i don't know how to change those triggers or those things and I think that's where the, this honest conversation with Papa is so useful to say, help me know myself and forgive myself of those areas and transform in those areas where I need to transform so that before I start accusing, I actually have this opportunity to rather transform. Yeah. So is it possible then those that are having the greatest difficulty, not just forgiving, but there are people living their lives uh, online, exposing mm -hmm. all their pain, all their anger, everything's being spouted, or in every conversation, you know, when you're going to chat with that person, they're going to start talking about this person they're ticked off with, they're always blame, 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 it's always their fault. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing you say is, ooh, there, there's a much different level, uh, a different perspective 
that will bring healing to that person. It's not even a good book on how to forgive. That won't help them. This, this is deeper, a more, a better magic, so to speak, just like from C.S. Lewis, you know, there's a, there's a, 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 something that's more mystical here that the Western world is not used to exploring because we're so freaking busy. We don't know how to stop. We don't know how to contemplate. Is that, yeah. how, how does that fit in? Absolutely. So first of all, I, I think when we, when we develop this awareness that every accusation should be a red flag for us. Every time we accuse, we, we should immediately think, what is it in me that um, causes such a reaction? to this issue, to this word, to this action. Now, no scapegoats, the scapegoats we make today, whether they're political or in our family or whatever, they might not be completely innocent. They might be guilty of many things. But what makes the scapegoat the scapegoat is I take all my unresolved issues and add it onto whatever that person's guilty of. And it's always great to find something they're really guilty of, but because it masks the fact that I've now taken all the other issues and dumped it with that one issue, to have like a cathartic release within myself. It's like a moment in which I can blame someone else. I think the first first, um, practical application here is whenever I find myself accusing, that should immediately draw my attention to what is it in me that reacts in this way to this issue, to this person. Because if there's no reaction in me, I would need, I would have, you know, there's, there's no residence, there's no connection. But the fact that I feel so passionate about a certain person, a situation, that I need to accuse, that is just a, a big revelation. Something's unresolved here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the more I accuse, the more I reveal my own brokenness. Um, so once I go into that process of, okay, I can now ask the question. I think one of the first things it will do is it will make us a bit slower to accuse because it brings us back to saying, let me first consider what is it within me that causes this reaction. And that awareness, I think, is already a massive step forward. And, and as you say, one of the beautiful things that we, that's becoming more popular and we're becoming more known now, again, is a practice of contemplation, which is this practice in which uh, some Christians still find it a little bit scary to use the word meditation. But, you know, just a, a simple act of silence in which I acknowledge that there's more going on in me than just my conscious thoughts. And um, to give that space, to say that I don't have to 
just occupy myself with regrets. What or what did that one say? What did that one say? What's going to happen when we meet? I don't have to occupy myself with replaying the same event over and over. I can make space for a more creative process, for more possibilities to enter this situation, and for the Spirit of God to lead us in a way that sometimes we're just too dull of hearing if we go without stopping in the day. Did you say just say dull of hearing? Yes. <laughs> I, know, I know many people are like that. <laughs> And we too have been, you know, but sometimes it's a conversation like this or listening into someone else's conversation that kind of puts the idea in our head. Oh, I had no concept of that journey or that world of slowing down might be a contributing factor to my healing. Because right now we're making lists of all the contributing factors of why we're angry and why we don't have to forgive, why this person needs to be blamed. You know, we, we have our lists, but I'm hearing you say the lists need to be put aside and we need to look fully into the face of Christ, just his face and see and feel and let that love kind of consume us. And suddenly that weird song and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. You remember that one? I didn't like that line, but it actually makes sense in this. Like those things, the lists we have will suddenly grow dim and fade. And we realize, Oh my I'm actually on a journey of healing that I never thought possible. Yeah. Love it. Love it, Mike. So we, uh, uh, we're going to come back for another section on this. So we're going to wrap this one up and then I want to continue uh, this conversation with you. If you're good with that, does that sound good? Perfect. Right. Thank you. All right. Hello, Andre. Thank you again for uh, the second session of Conversation of Forgiveness. And I want to follow or rather continue um, the previous discussion we had, but I want to hear more of your heart on where you see this topic of forgiveness affecting individuals from a lens that you've been excited about. So uh, what are you seeing? What do you want to continue on here? Yes. Last time we touched on the issue of uh, contemplation, meditation, because forgiveness for me is really a transformative process that's ongoing throughout our lives. Sometimes it's very obvious, you know, you, you did something, said something that was hurtful to somebody, obvious, say sorry, try and reconcile it. But very often, I think there are things that we notice in our lives, uh, routines or, or cycles that seem to reoccur, certain events within our relationship that always flare up, or a certain person that we meet and this, you know, the same feeling comes up. That never happens um, to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think when we realize that there are certain cycles that can become rats. Very often there's an underlying story or a, um, a way in which you've interpreted your story and made it part of your story that you might not even be aware of. 
that has now become such an intrinsic part of you that you anticipate it in certain situations and in certain circumstances. Now, that's where I think the practice of silence, the practice of just on a daily basis, sitting down for no, not, not to pray, not to ask, not to talk, but just say, Yes, 20 minutes, Papa, for you to do within me what I don't even realize needs to be done in me. We, we started this practice of silence maybe um, six, seven years ago. And in the beginning, I was very tempted to kind of evaluate each session. How did that go? And very soon I realized some days it's wonderful. Other days I feel, oh, my thoughts were so busy, busy, busy with things. It was a failure. But I made a commitment to say, you know, I've got the whole day to consciously think about things. These, this is a period I'm going to set those conscious thoughts apart and simply practice an awareness of Abba's presence. That's it. Just observe. God in me, mean God, and whenever my thoughts want to go somewhere else, I come back to that central awareness. And it was probably two or three years into the practice that out of nowhere, things that I haven't thought about for, you know, more than 30 years, suddenly a memory came up and I thought, why did this memory come? And then at the same time, I actually encountered a person that was part of the formation of that memory from years ago. And I felt my emotional reaction and feeling to this, towards this person, I suddenly saw it was still influenced by how I interpreted an event that happened when I was a kid. And that brought me to the realization, Lord, I need, I need transformation. Yes, there's healing. It doesn't mean I forget it. And, you know, our Abba is so faithful. He took me through that process and showed me how that whole situation contributed to making me who I am today in a way that my resentment towards that person was transformed into gratitude. Um, and that's something that, that I find difficult to even explain. <laughs> you know, we, some of these events are beyond our capacity to just absorb. Let me give a practical example. We have or another example in the same line to, to show the kind of transformation that I'm speaking of. We, we have precious friends of ours that live um, in the same town that we act, and they lost um, a very young baby, a, a cot deaf. This was also maybe more than 30 years ago. You can imagine, it's an incredible, painful experience, confusion, 
where was God? Where, you know, there's, it's such a painful experience. Now we, we had a conversation with them about a year ago and I was so shocked when our friend said, now when I look back at that experience, the only thing I feel is gratitude. And, and we could say, how can you, how can you look at an event of such loss, such pain, such confusion, and feel gratitude? That is the kind of transformative experience that only God can lead us through. Uh, and we're trying to find language for it. But I think part of the language that we are finding is forgiveness. Forgiveness, part of it is I let go of my favorite way of interpreting this event. I let go of the emotions and the meanings that I've attached to this event. And I open myself up to possibilities of meaning that I can't even imagine. So I, I'm sure this couple friend of ours in that situation, even in the years surrounding that situation, they never even considered that gratitude is a possibility of how to interpret that event. <laughs> you know, no one could have imagined that that is a possibility of what could come out of such an event. But I think that is part of what forgiveness is, is just opening ourselves up to new ways of interpreting, to new possibilities of meaning, to new possibilities of relating and feeling in our relationships um, with others. Yeah. Yikes. So <laughs> hearing that story, um, I know there are people that are going to say, well, I want that. So it is possible. It's great. And they want now. So yes. there's a problem. <laughs> Time. Yes. You know, the I want it now, Western world thinking. Yeah. How do you yeah. respond? You know, I'm, I don't want to exclude the possibility <laughs> of moments of transformation. You know, there are moments of insight and revelation that, transforms the trajectory of our lives. Um, but the reason I brought up this habit of silence, this habit of contemplation, is for me that has been the most um, consistent method of transformation that I know of. To just on a daily basis open yourself up to an awareness of God's presence. And, and purposely, when a thought comes, you know, we all have thoughts, what do I need to do today? My list of things, who am I busy with? When the thoughts come, I would just, I would normally have like a, a word with its apple or presence, or it doesn't have to be anything that's laid with meaning. It's basically just a placeholder to say, I realize that I'm busy with other thoughts, so I say this word, 
I'm not fighting the thought. I'm just saying I acknowledge you, but I let you go as well. Because in this moment, I just want to be aware of Abba. Mm. I just want to be aware of God in me, me in God. And I bring my awareness back to that. So that practice, although it doesn't bring that instant changes in every practice, what, what I experienced and why I shared that example is that there are things that sometimes are deeply buried within our unconscious, deeply buried within our memory. And we've, through many years, practiced how to keep it there. <laughs> or so we think. And this practice of just opening ourselves up to a new way of being, to say to God, you know what needs to be done in a way that I don't know. I think that is a fantastic way over time to, to experience a path and possibilities that we are not able to formulate or engineer. It's going to be different for each one of us. And that's why this meditative process for me is almost cheating. We've had many like ministry weekends, but one of the most transformative weeks we had, we call it the thunder of silence. It was five days of teaching people this meditative process. And really, it's just teaching people how to get out of their own way and, and let God do what he's so eager to do in us. Um, and we sat back and saw transformations happening that I haven't seen through, if I had to preach all five days, I haven't seen <laughs> that kind of transformation by just giving people this opportunity to form a habit of daily silence, trusting that other knows what's, what needs to be addressed and what needs to be changed. Yeah. Yeah, because people are wanting the uh, instant fix. They want the you know, 10 steps. Tell me what to do. My world and my thinking, tell me what to do and I'll do it. I, I can follow routines quite well or a list, get my list done. So it's about the, the goal of completing something. But I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing something very different here. That's not a quick fix. And yet there may be moments of intense quick fixes that only the Holy Spirit knows how to do. They're not impossible. They're just, there's work to be done in this process. Is there not? Like, huh? Some people could be scared of this. And I think especially because we, we are exploring in that awareness of God, we are exploring, excuse me, a theme that will never be exhausted. Um, this is not a theology where I can complete the thesis or or idea where I can complete the book or research it. This is diving into the direct experience um, of depth. The, the, the one philosopher spoke about depths as yet unspoken. And, and that is for me that practice. I, I'm, I'm touching, experiencing um, a part of God for which I don't have language yet. And the part of me 
for which I don't have language yet. You know, when we get so um, in control of our theology and our psychology and our ideas that we know exactly who we are and who God is, number one, that is so boring. Number two, that is so limited. Our theology and our psychology and our ideas, our philosophy should always be a, a clarification of the small part of this inexhaustible depth that we will explore forever. It's not that our words are wrong, they're just never conclusive. <laughs> they never at the end. And I think the process itself, I love what 1 John 3 says, now we are the children of God. What we will be, I don't know. It's this <laughs> beautiful exploration of we in this process of becoming, we can rest assured that we, we are gods. But, uh, we belong to God. <laughs> but, but at the same time, there's this expectation of, uh, of untold possibilities of being that we never just rest in the satisfaction of what's been, but we rejoice in the possibility of being that's uh, still ahead of us. Yeah. I think people are afraid of, of, of facing that. Um, hey, tell me if I'm hearing you correctly. For an individual that has a deep, deep pain that they're either unwilling to or can't forgive, what you're suggesting, this is the this is another option that probably hasn't been explored that may bring tremendous benefit and healing in the long term. Is that is that kind of absolutely? I will I will put one caveat onto that. Okay. What I have found in the meditative process, there are processes where you can go sit specifically with that issue or that pain with God and say, help me deal with it, take me further. But what I have found is even better in that moment of silence is to put that aside as well. Because we often become so obsessed with the one problem, the one situation, the one pain that needs to be resolved, that we are blind sometimes to the causes behind it. Mm -hmm. And so within the meditative process specifically, I put all of that aside. Um, some people might even you know, I even put aside hearing from God in that moment of silence. This is, this is not the moment for me to hear revelations or have direction. You, this is for me to be with God in silence, for so, him to communicate with me on the depth that cannot be spoken. Yeah, sorry. So, no, no, I'm sorry. Um, I, I want to jump on that because I think that's going to be an important thing. I'm, I'm hearing something powerful about that, that this isn't even about hearing from God. Are you suggesting that sometimes we make quiet time a work of trying to hear from God? So that becomes an, uh, like a goal. And even that mm -hmm. we got to get rid of and let God take care of whatever he's going to do. Is that kind of what you're saying? 
Absolutely. And you know, that was one of the most difficult things to teach on this um, Silence of Thunder course. We we like 30 people sitting down. And when after the first session, there's just revelations. And we we want to affirm people, but to then teach them your next session, the biggest breakthrough is when you're going to experience something and you're not going to have words for it. We mm. don't want you, because we charismatics are so focused on hearing God. Where do we need to go or show me a vision of clouds on fire? And this, we want visions, we want pictures, we want words. And, and, my, and my picture is better than yours. Yeah. There's, comp- there's competition in that. Yes. <laughs> and to actually get to that place where, you know, there, there are some people you are so comfortable with that you can walk down a, a path in the, in the woods and you can kick leaves and no one feels the need to say anything. I think this is that kind of, appreciation of one another's presence where where we are listening to one another respectfully but god is also just listening he's not speaking (laughs) and so to experience god listening to me to know that he gets the depth of who I am, even beyond what I'm able to express. I think that experience takes us beyond any one situation, any one issue that needs to be forgiven. And God's able to bring memories and ideas and possibilities of meaning to the to the top that wouldn't be there if we set the agenda of we need to talk about this, I need to ask you about this, I need direction about this, and and by the way, if you've got a nice revelation to throw in, that would be great. This is just silence. So no prayer list. <laughs> Not for that specific practice. So right. I've got different, you know, I've got different other practices of prayer I love in other times to speak, to, mm. you know, to tell what Paul says, let your requests be known to yeah. God. Where I find that a big help if I'm anxious, I go and talk about it all. <laughs> so how would you, but how would you, yeah. that, that's, I'm glad you said that because yeah. I'd love for you to address two people, two types of people, the person whose life, like I can, I see you, I know your kids are growing up. So I can hear some young mom say, that's nice for you. Your kids are moved out. I don't have time for this. I, ha- I hardly have time to have a rest or, a, or anything. Going to the grocery store is rest for me. Like, how do, you, how do you speak to that person who would love to have that, but, but inside something's screaming, I need that. So in the second, I'll yes. talk to that one first and I have another one after. So we've had, you know, we've got the online school, the Mimesis Academy, and in one of them, we teach the the meditative practice in one of the courses. And we've had families with young kids. We've had grandparents with their kids. And people have, they've all struggled (laughs) with kids, but they've had different strategies of how to deal with it. So one of the 
strategies that I found very encouraging is to entice the children into this practice with them. Wow. And it is, you might think there's no way my kids are going to be quiet for dinner. When you start explaining to the kids that there's something more to you than the person you know, and here's an opportunity to explore this depth of treasures, you know, they, they have found ways of drawing young kids, four or five, and sometimes more teenagers, 12, 13, 14, into the practice. Now, that might begin with five minutes, with 10 minutes. It might, might build up over time to, to a longer period. But that's one strategy. Um, other strategies is to, to make time, you know, to say, okay, will dad look after the kids? Will grandma look after the kids? And find those 20 minutes as well in the midst of that. So there's different strategies. And one that I definitely would encourage is to some extent try and draw the kids into this practice because it's going to be hugely beneficial for them to learn the art of being in touch with their own feelings. I remember my father coming home from work at five in the morning from a night shift and I knew his routine. He'd come home, pray, pull out his big, he had a huge prayer list, <laughs> very German Baptist background. And uh, one day I, I interrupted him and he firmly said, this is my time with God. You go back to bed. He was almost angry sounding, but firm. And yet his character, I knew, I know his character. He was awesome. So, he taught me a reverence instantly in that moment that for him, he needed that time. Don't bug me. And yeah. I, I never forgot that, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. So you wanted to talk about the second yes. person. Second person is a very deeply wounded person uh, who is in a, stuck in a spin cycle, a spin cycle of blaming, accusing, uh, currently being really hurt, really misunderstood um yes. how do you speak to someone like that because they're not even ready to entertain the idea of forgiveness forgiveness they're they're all wrong i didn't do anything wrong like yeah. there's 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 a few people like that like not just that and that i'm i'm giving it quite an extreme but i am i'm thinking of somebody exactly but there are people yeah. who are stuck in a spin cycle of i can't get out of this i, I cannot forgive so don't make mm -hmm. me so they're almost caught in the, um, yeah. the, the goal of forgiving as being the objective goal. And yet maybe that's not it right now. Yeah. What would you say? I don't know if it's specifically as extreme like that, but I think many of us have faced the situation where we found it extremely difficult to forgive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in those situations, although you know it's the right thing, <laughs> although you know it's the good thing and it's to your benefit, it's just difficult to get your head around any other thought, but I want to go slap that person or, you know, whatever. That's where your thoughts are stuck. And um, practically, the, the few times that I work, you find yourself in a situation like that, I would say just begin with acknowledging and, and speaking to your other and saying, 
I know what's right here, but I'm just not getting it right in my head. I can't, <laughs> but uh, I, I want to do what you want to do. I, I love Jesus's words. If you are willing to do the will of God, mm-hmm. that's where it begins. Just that willingness. And although I don't have all the words or the actions there yet, to just begin with, Abba, I'm willing, help me. And, and allow yourself the time for whatever needs to happen to happen to get to a place where you can eventually say, even if you don't feel it yet, I forgive you. Just for yourself, say, I forgive that person. I forgive just verbally, person. one way. Yes. I, Practicing those words. It's the transforming in you. And I think that that just opens up a possibility. There's something beautiful in in Matthew 6 where Jesus, I think it's in the old King James Version, where he says, take no thought saying what we shall eat, what we shall drink. So uh, something that I learned years ago with that is this, it's almost like we take a hold of a thought more permanently when we start verbalizing it. And when I continually say, I just can't forgive, Jack, I just can't forgive, we're kind of giving it the more permanence within us. So even if you feel like you can't forgive whoever, try not to say it to begin with. Try and entertain the idea of maybe I can. And even if you can't say it to anyone else because you're so mad, just in your own secret place of God saying, Lord, I'm willing, I forgive, you know, whoever, Jack, or the the example I used. And I think there's something in that verbal action where you take the thought and and it becomes more of a possibility. So some things are slow progress. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're saying you're, you're speaking from either your true identity or a false identity. The false identity says, I cannot, because my question mm. is, who is I? I yes. cannot? Well, the real you can't. Christ in you, your union, that yeah. true self can forgive. So if we keep repeating yeah. words of false identity, we affirm that it builds a gross strength in our minds, right? And so I love how you said earlier, start saying, I forgive them, even if your heart isn't there. Now, I've, I've, I've spoken this in my previous conference. Begin to say that word objectively, I forgive, but dang, I can't stand them right now. And then let, let the truth of the I will forgive become true. You know, I, I, that's what I'm hearing you say. Is that, am I hearing that's you right? Uh, say this well, Mark, absolutely. One, one last thing I want to ask you. Um, misconceptions around forgiveness, things that hinder us. I'm going to probably ask every one of our, our guests to kind of address a favorite one that they see most often. What's one or two hindrances or misconceptions around the topic of forgiveness that you most often see? I didn't. I, think I didn't. People. Yes. I think people sometimes avoid the subject of forgiveness, as we said in the first subject, because the, the, the first video, because they so closely associated with guilt. And I want to, to say that forgiveness is 
a release of guilt and a release of new possibilities and new meaning. So um, instead of avoiding a problem, which will just perpetuate the guilt, even though it's unconscious, because you can consciously tell yourself there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong. Your heart knows if you've caused harm. Forgiveness is this, if you speak about anything instant, forgiveness is this moment in which you can get rid of the guilt and begin the process of transformation. Mm. In that moment in which you acknowledge that action, those words caused harm, and I want to put it right, that you will just experience the presence of God <laughs> like nowhere else if you say, Papa, I want to make that right. If you can identify places of harm, it might not even be you that's involved in it, but you can see that's a situation in which somebody's causing harm. Yeah. You say, here I am, Papa, let's bring healing. That, that, um, that's a misconception that I think Mentally, we can say forgiveness and guilt. Don't avoid forgiveness because you're scared of the guilt. Run towards the forgiveness. It is the solution for the, for the feeling of guilt. Would yeah. shame be another word that fits in there? Yeah, definitely. Shame, guilt, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for the time. And, uh, sorry, say that again. You, you broke up. I just wanted to say thank you so much for the opportunity. Always a joy to chat to you, Mike. Thank and, you. Uh, this. Oh, wow. I know that was a long one, and I hope you enjoyed that. And if you only caught part of it, go back to the beginning. Uh, this is a two-part conversation on forgiveness I had with Andre Rabe. And uh, uh, hearing it again was quite powerful. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for taking time to join me today on Still Growing in Grace, uh, a place where we explore faith, ask the questions you're not allowed to ask in church, <laughs> and uh, explore more hope-filled perspectives. So uh, looking forward to seeing you next week. Um, I think we have a, a new conversation uh, coming up next week, and you'll love it. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, Sandy, thank you from the UK uh, saying... Um, Thanks to Andre and myself. That was such a fun conversation. And Sandy, I'm going to do a whole bunch more. Uh, this isn't done. Uh, and again, if you've got people in mind that would offer a really neat perspective on forgiveness and a lens, it, again, we've we've had such a variety, but I think there's more. Um, I, I can't hear enough of this. I think it's way too important in our in our time today, especially with the temperature of our culture and and all that's going on in our world so all right catch you all next time i hope you have a great week and until next wednesday morning 8 a.m eastern standard time see you later join me next time on still growing in grace for more good news enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca you can also visit HopeFellowshipYCC.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at GrowingInGrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.